Welcome back to the KPO Podcast. I'm your host, Jagisha. This week on the podcast, we have Nishida Parikh talking about her debut novel, The Night of the Storm. This is a classic locked room thriller about a multi-generational Indian-American family marooned in a house with a murderer during Hurricane Harvey. This was an absolute page turner, and I think you'll like the interview as well. Let's get started. Listeners, this week on the podcast, I have Nishita Parikh, and we are going to be talking about The Night of the Storm. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me here. So happy to be here. Okay, so to start us off, tell us about the book. What is this about? So the elevator pitch for this book is it's a locked room mystery about an Indian family that's trapped in a house during Hurricane Harvey. The main character is Gia. She's a single mom who's kind of overwhelmed. You know, she's just trying to do her best raising her son. And when Hurricane Harvey hits, she gets an offer from her married sister Seema to basically ride out the storm in her big fancy house. So Gia accepts the invitation, but there's just one catch. And that is Seema's husband has been extra friendly with Gia lately, but Gia hasn't told her sister that. So right off the bat, you know, we have this tension and secrets between the two sisters. And given that it's an Indian family, you know, family is very important in our community. So we have extended relatives joining them. And there's some drama that happens. And unfortunately for this family, things escalate to murder. So now it's up to Gia to find out, you know, who did the murder while being trapped in a house uh, during a storm. Mm -hmm. So what inspired the story? I was inspired to write this novel based on my experience with Hurricane Harvey. In 2017, when Harvey hit Texas, I was trapped in an apartment and I was on the second story, so I was safe. But I had many relatives, family members living nearby who were basically homeowners who were asked to evacuate. One of my cousins was even rescued in a boat, which at the time I thought was so surreal. (laughs) So they were all coming over to my place. At one point, we were like five adults, two kids crammed in my tiny one bedroom apartment. We could hear rescue choppers flying overhead. It was a crazy time. So spoiler alert, nobody in the family was murdered. Thank God. (laughs) We (laughs) ended up having a good time. I feel like I should call that out with this novel. My family is lovely, not like the awful characters in the book. (laughs) But the experience kind of planted the seed in my mind that, you know, Mm. what if you had this locked room structure, but that was centered on a hurricane? Yeah, well, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm just turning the pages and I'm just going, okay, what happens next? What happens next? So I think I finished the book in within, a, you know, one or two days really quickly. Thank you. Thank you. That's all an author wants to hear. Thank you. <laughs> so, and actually my question was, uh, did you have to go through a hurricane in what category? So you kind of already answered that. Um, so the next question is, if you are trapped with your loved ones, you're sheltering in place like you did, what is the one thing you couldn't live without? Like aside from your, you know, family and everybody's safe, but if you had to like shelter in place, what would you miss? Yeah, so I'm not proud to say this. I'm uh, kind of embarrassed to accept it, but it would be my phone because I'm so addicted to it. So and and even during the hurricane, when we were all trapped together, you know, we were part of so many WhatsApp groups and there were so many uh, 
pictures that people were sharing it was a way to stay connected mm-hmm. i mean i'm sure some of it was like fake information because i was getting the same uh, picture of an alligator coming out in the backyard of so many different houses <laughs> so but yeah it's a do to definitely be my phone well and that makes sense though i mean if you're in an emergency situation i mean you got to have your phone so yeah. Okay, so I really liked all of your characters. You had, I mean, you had this sort of extended Indian family together. And so could you talk a little bit more about the individual characters? You talked a little bit about Gia and Seema. So, and then there's also Lisa and Raj and the friendly (laughs) brother-in-law. Right. So like I said, our main character is Gia. And it was important for me for her to be a single mom, because some of my closest friends are single moms. And honestly, they are my heroes. After becoming a mom myself, I have realized like what a difficult task it is to raise a child because I have a wonderful husband and in-law supporting me. And yet I complain all the time. So I can't even imagine what it's like to, you know, do this by yourself. So that's why my main character is a single mom. And I kind of wanted to have a contrasting experience. So Seema is kind of, even though she's a sister, as it so often happens with siblings, she's the opposite. So she's married, she has a house, a husband and everything. But the point is that even she's unhappy in her own way. So sometimes I think it's when you're living an inauthentic life, you are more unhappy than, you know, when you are not having the best circumstances. So Seema is kind of supposed to reflect that um, opposite of Jia. Mm -hmm. And you have Vipu who's mm-hmm. Seema's husband, who's not going to win the Husband of the Year Award anytime soon. <laughs> He's mm-hmm. kind of has this traditional mentality of, you know, women are supposed to serve their husbands and uh, he's not exactly, you know, very helpful to Seema. And you also have Lisa and Raj and they're kind of a younger couple and they're supposed to reflect the younger generation who's kind of trying to step away from the typical South Asian mentality. They're trying to, you know, break free of the traditions. My favorite character, though, in this book to write was Grandma, because mm-hmm. she's like the oldest in the family. And in her case, like the filter between her mind and her mouth, they have atrophied. <laughs> so she basically <laughs> just says whatever comes to her mind. And it was really fun to write her dialogues. Yes, yes, she was great. Her lines that she dropped, and I'm like, and I can see she was very typical of this older generation who would Mm -hmm. definitely has no filter. I have some family members like that. (laughs) So, and you kind of mentioned this uh, just a little bit about uh, when you were talking about Vipul and and Sima and their marriage, but so that is a theme that seems to run through it a little bit of, of arranged marriages and then sort of the roles of men and women, especially in our culture. It seems like it doesn't really, in some places, it hasn't really moved forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think this is a fascinating concept, India's relationship with women. We have a very you know interesting uh, relationship. So in India, right, the divorce rates are less than 1% in a country of billion population. Now, that does not mean that South Asians have, you know, cracked the code of making a marriage work. Mm -hmm. All it means is that there is enormous societal pressure to stay in a marriage, no matter, you know, how unhappy you are. And the cost of this is often, you know, paid by women who stay in miserable and sometimes even abusive marriages just to make it work or they stay for the sake of kids, whatever. There's there's like this big pressure to just make it work at any cost. And what happens is that when people from such countries, they immigrate to the United States, they 
also carry these you know backward kind of beliefs with them so mm-hmm. now even though they are in a country living in a country that has places such a premium on individual freedoms we still kind of cling to the beliefs that we have and we try to hold back to ourselves uh, you know trying to follow the patterns of our culture so i think that that it it becomes more difficult for immigrant women to step away from unhappy marriages because they have this pressure from society oh yeah absolutely and then also trying to navigate in a new country and trying to figure out how it all works uh with the language barrier so yeah mm-hmm. definitely um and you know one of the things i liked was that you had lisa as sort of a contrast too cuz she's actually not an indian she's uh mm-hmm. she's a caucasian woman and but she also is sort of taking on some of the the roles that indian women have had so like she assimilates to the culture and really wants to please everybody right yeah so lisa is also kind of an outsider that's why jia is able to relate to lisa because she can understand how she is also navigating a new culture and lisa is just trying to keep her husband happy maybe she's not doing the right things to you know try to assimilate she's maybe going too far than she needs to but that's that's lisa's approach i think she's a nice contrast to the other characters in the book mm mm-hmm. Okay, so I got to say one of my favorite lines in the book is um is having a son is like having a 401k. And I thought I thought it was just so well done like oh my god, yes, exactly. Because I often thought of it as, you know, the parents are just walking around selling their son to the highest bidder. Is that how, how I always saw it? <laughs> right right absolutely so this is a fact that's not very well known but you know in india you you're not legally allowed to reveal the gender of uh, of your unborn child so mm-hmm. out here we have all these big gender parties right but i had cousins in india back home who wouldn't even know whether they're having a boy or a girl before you know before the the delivery and i think that's so sad that the government has to put laws in place to make sure that people you know continue with the pregnancy it's almost as if we've accepted that being a girl in india is like having a second class status almost mm-hmm. and again like other things this belief is carried over even when you come to the united states which which is really really sad i think i i hope i hope one day when my son grows up they read all this and they're like oh my god really we've come a long way i hope one day these beliefs kind of you know go away oh i do and i think it has to start with the moms i mean you got to mm-hmm. you know teach your sons be like nope this is not how you treat a woman this is the proper way to do it i think because you often see that mother-in-laws are siding with their sons and it makes sense but they also forget that they you were once a newly married woman who came into yep. and had to adjust yep yep absolutely okay so on your website it says that you're a programmer with the heart of a writer so are you still doing uh, programming Yes, I work as a tech I'm an I'm technology. I work as a coder and I'm not leaving my full-time job soon because I don't want to put all my eggs in publishing because it's one fragile basket. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm going to keep my job for some time. Uh but but I'll like writing because that's my passion. So that's the thing that feeds my soul. Mhm. Yeah, absolutely. you recent you moved here you moved from from mumbai uh to mm-hmm. the us uh just not that long ago i'm assuming or uh so do you, what do you miss 
so what I miss, the thing is that at least I'm in Houston, so I don't miss the weather. It's like hot and humid, just like back home over here. So that's the good part. Sometimes I miss the food. Mm-hmm. I we have good options here but you know the variety that you get back home it's you wouldn't get the same here and now that I'm a working mom I have a toddler I'm a working mom in America so I miss all the childcare options that you get in India I feel like there's so much support there for moms you can get you know even middle class families can afford a nanny a cook and all those things so as I'm putting things in the dishwasher every day I I miss that aspect of home very much mm-hmm. Yes, yes. It's it's nice to get all the support. Mm-hmm. So do you see yourself writing in any other genre? So this is sort of, this story is a mystery thriller. And I tr- was trying not to ask any questions related to, you know, giving any spoilers away. Uh, but do you see yourself continuing with this genre or exploring others? I love this genre. I started reading mystery novels ever since my dad gave me my first famous five book by Enid Blyton. So I think I'll continue writing in this genre. I just love the idea of creating like a puzzle and, you know, having a reader solve it along with you. But I do feel like you shouldn't be limited to one genre. So even though the main genre would be mystery, I would still have, I think, layers of maybe women's fiction or, you know, side of social commentary. So it would be a genre mashup probably. Oh, yeah. And I think this book does that too. I mean, I, I you know, you see a little bit of women's fiction in there and, mm-hmm. I think I love the twist. I won't say what it is, but there are several twists in this book and was very surprised at one of them was like, okay, I did not see that coming. (laughs) Yeah, I was very lucky to work with many editors who were like great at helping me create this twist because I think now readers are so savvy these days. They've read so many books so they can see a lot of the twists coming. So it takes a lot of work to kind of still surprise people but at the same time you want the twist to be organic you know you don't it still has to go back and make sense that's my thing if you reread it you should be able to see all the foreshadowing and the clues in place so Mm -hmm. I tried really hard to pull that off yeah so what is your writing process uh do you start with just like a, a an idea or do you start with characters yeah, so I start with an outline. It doesn't work for me to just keep writing without knowing where the story is going. So mm-hmm. I do try to start with at least the basics of who, when, how. And since I write murder mysteries, I need to know right away who is murdered and who was the perpetrator. So I start with those basics and then I build out from there. Okay, so are you working on something new now? What's next? <laughs> For me right now, uh, it's just getting through this launch of this book. And then maybe once things settle down, then I will, you know, work on the next one. But for now, I'm just packed with uh, my book events. Oh, yeah, yeah. This book has been getting a lot of buzz. So um, I discovered it in in one of the reviews that I do with Publisher Weekly that I read through. So but I have seen that it's been people are very excited about the book and it is very good. So I think they'll really enjoy it. Thank you so much. And the support of libraries means so much to me. Every time I see this book added to a library catalog, like my heart, you know, skips a beat. I'm so happy and I'm I'm so grateful for support of people like you. Thank you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so um, is there anything else that you would like to add that I haven't asked? No, I think you you covered pretty much everything. I love that you asked the 401k question because as an Indian like that, um, I wrote this for my South Asian community because I feel like those parts are so relatable. So I love that you got that. So thank Mm -hmm. you. Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Uh, so the next question is, what are, this is the question we ask all of our authors, what are you reading or what do we recommend uh, we read? Uh, the novel that I loved recently was Rabbit Hole by Kate Brody. It's a mystery that's also a true crime drama and it has, you know, Redditor stuff. So I think it's, it's really cool. Oh, nice. And that was just released. <laughs> yes, that's just released. Yep. This month. Okay. Okay. So last question is, um, are there particular authors that have influenced you into becoming a mystery writer? Is there specific ones that you read constantly? So like most mystery writers, I think Agatha Christie has been a big influence. Mm -hmm. All her works are like great. I have reread most of her novels. Um, as far as contemporary authors go, I like to read books by uh, diverse authors because they, you know, you learn things from a different, about a different culture. So I like my books that fall in the category of, you know, come for the entertainment, stay for the message. Mm -hmm. So I really liked uh, Alyssa Cole. She's one author that I'm really looking forward to. I love mm -hmm. her book. Yeah, she's very good. Mm -hmm. So I just recently read um, The Jinn Waits 100 Years by Shivnam Khan. That is really, really good. And it's um, she grew up in, in South Africa, Durban, South, oh. South Africa, and she's a fellow Indian. But it's the perspective is so completely different from someone in, in South Africa. So that was very good. Yeah, that book's been getting a lot of buzz too, so I'm looking forward to it. So thank you so much for doing the podcast today. And uh, this is so great, just having a chance to talk to you. And also just nice to see my fellow Indian writers and their publishing books, so getting all these fun stories. Yep, absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for doing this, Jigisha. Thank you for yep. your time. That's our show this week. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next week when we talk to Shubnam Khan about The Jinn Waits a Hundred Years, a fascinating Gothic love story set in Durban, South Africa. Until next week.